Now, there's one rule that I have whenever I teach someone martial arts. I say, if you can't defend yourself and someone is coming towards you and intimidating your space, nobody messes with the crazy person. Crazy person is unpredictable. Go into a crazy mode rather than a freeze mode. You know, you're not going to go towards them, but you scream like a maniac, behave like a maniac, and they will disappear. I'm Esther, and you are listening to On Your Own, a podcast for Jewish girls living away from home. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you confidently navigate life on your own so you can achieve real growth and independence and take ownership of this foundational stage of your life. For additional resources, tips, and to stay up to date on future episodes, sign up for the On Your Own newsletter, linked below in the description. Looking forward to spending some time with you today. And now, to this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to On Your Own. My guest today is Ali Kaimovitz. Ali is a martial artist, businesswoman, wife and mother. At 18, she was selected to represent South Africa in the Martial Arts World Championship in Japan, where she placed third in the world. Our conversation was truly fascinating. We discussed the life lessons learned from being a professional fighter, practical self-defense advice that every young woman should know, how to assess your surroundings to make sure you are safe, and much more. This episode was recorded before the outbreak of the war in Eretz Yisrael and before the huge rise in anti-Semitic attacks around the world. I believe that the topic of safety is more relevant now than ever, and I hope that you find this conversation helpful and empowering so you can confidently and safely keep up all of your great work. What do I need to know about your early childhood to understand about the person that you are today? So my early childhood, I grew up in a family that practices martial arts. And so I think the martial arts became part of my life while I was in the womb. My mom was also a martial artist. And so we grew up with confidence. We grew up with a sense of security because we knew we were in a home where we were um, well provided for um, from a security perspective, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Um, I'll share something with you that my father always used to do. He played little games with us. So when we would enter the household, my, my father would like disrupt how the house is decorated. He'll move little items around. And if we could identify something out of place, we would get a reward. And so awareness has always been a part of our diet, I would say. <laughs> What, what, what do you think his motivation for doing that was? Um, my dad, because his brain is always in a defense mode and, you know, we, I'm one of four girls. And so he ensured that he empowered his daughters. He always spoke to us in a manner that we are able to take care of ourselves, provided we have the skills and provided we have the means to do so. And so he always focused his teachings around the aspect of martial arts. And that really gave me confidence because I was always aware of my surroundings and I still do it today. Um, it greatly influences my life when I walk into a room or when I read um, body language. 
These are things that were taught to us naturally. And so it was very empowering from a very young age. Wow. How did your family get into martial arts, your mom and your dad? So my grandfather's a boxer. My late grandfather was a boxer. He practiced like also a variety of martial arts. He, um, the genre of martial arts was not limited in our household. So it ranged from boxing to various styles of martial arts. And because my grandfather was a model to his children, I think it greatly influenced how my father um, found his love for martial arts. And with that, that was just a skill that was passed down from generation to generation. So, yes, we are a very strong family um, in the sense of we understand our environment and we know how to read that environment to ensure our safety. And what did your personal journey um, with martial arts look like growing up? So I started martial arts officially when I was three years old. I got my first karate gear um, when I was three years old. But I think the martial arts started way before then. So even my toys that my parents bought me, like I had a punching bag. I had um, self-defense gloves before I was three years old. And so I see my dad doing it with my children as well. He teaches them how to form a fist, how to block the basic blocking, how to punch, how to use your body. And Avi's like in seventh heaven. He's my third born because he loves it. You know, he's just a natural stance. (laughs) So you started at three doing karate specifically. Yes. Three years old started karate. So when we started martial arts, we had 15-minute lessons. The lessons were very much Montessori orientated. So like um, gripping, catching, dodging. So we played a lot of dodgeball in the first sessions of martial arts. And from there, we progressed with stance, with punching, um, how to form our fist, how to pro- properly um, do a proper block, uh, block. But it was never limited. You know, the genre for my dad, um, he loves self-defense. So he loves working with weapons. So he gave us like, my, I think my first, my first in chakras were sponging and chakras that are actually handed down to your brother. (laughs) (laughs) And that was just to practice and get familiar with other objects and how to utilize objects around you for for your own safety, but also to improve um, movability, you know, like how to use one's body in one's environment is basically what martial arts is. Martial arts is all about 90% mind and 10% body. And so I can see why there was a strong influence with martial arts, my level of confidence, my sense of awareness, and particularly being mindful of those around me and the environment I find myself in. And how did that training progress for you as you as you grew up? What did that look like? So I'm one of my dad's or one of the kids out of the family that really took martial arts to the next level. I love martial arts because... I just felt so confident and comfortable doing martial arts that to the point where I used to go to training at least three times a week. The older I became, I started training every single day. And because of the commitment in training, practice makes one fall in love with what you're doing because there's a deeper sense of understanding. And with practice, there's a sense of not perfection, 
but a form of mastery. And so the mastery of martial arts really encouraged me. Um, my focus was more on martial arts than my social interactions with my friends around my community because with martial arts, I saw an opportunity. And my first, my first incidence of, of opportunity with martial arts was when I was nine years old, um, where I participated in a competition in, in Cape Town, and I got selected for the provincial team which allowed me to go fight nationally and do cutters, which is a, a synchronized activity or a projection of what a fight could be and how you can defend yourself. And because of, of, of the intensity of my training, I became really good at martial arts. And so from the age of nine years old to the age of 18, I managed to hold the South African title and the Western Cape wow. title for martial arts, um, specifically JKA. But I fought different genres because there was always an opportunity. And going to um, nationals where there was a mixed martial arts, so they call it the all-styles competition, I really saw how well I could excel in that. And so I gave a lot of effort to my martial arts. And hard work pays off. And so I was able to travel with martial arts locally and internationally. And that gave me a window into the greater picture of the world. Um, I also grew up in a very um, uncertain time in South Africa where um, racism was very strongly held. However, the community of martial arts like completely diminished that narrative because in the community of martial arts, it's like a family. Uh, we look out for each other. We try and improve each other's techniques. And so there's a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood that we've created in the community of martial arts. And so that was very empowering for me personally. And it created a career in martial arts that was very fruitful for me and definitely influenced uh, decisions and opportunities in my life, whether it was my career or my studies, um, it greatly influenced that because of the discipline that accompanies martial arts. It really sounds like it creates a whole mini life version within it. It's got the community aspect, the education, mental education, physical education. It's a whole, it's a whole package deal. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you took out of that whole journey? What's the thing you still carry with you the most? So, effort. Consistency definitely brings peace of mind. I had my failures with martial arts. I did not win every fight or every competition. But what it taught me was, was to never give up. And so, you know, before I, before I went on this journey of Judaism, I got an insight of the power of speech. And that was a strength to my mental ability beyond the physical. I partook in a competition, international competition. I wasn't competition ready. Um, physically, it was impossible to achieve what I was hoping to achieve. But I remember walking into the arena um, in, when we had the opening ceremony and we all had to walk past these medals and um, the trophies. And I turned around to one of my, my teammates and I said, I don't care which medal or which trophy, but one of them will be mine. 
And that's what martial arts taught me was that whatever you set your mind to, you definitely can achieve. And so that ability to have a strong mental um, approach to my, my daily activities or, or my sport and my, my academic career um, definitely gave me the power because that's what martial arts does. It gives you that strength to know that I can achieve this, even if it means that I have to train the same kick a hundred times or train the same cut and practice the same cut a hundred times, I will get to a point where I will be able to get it right just the way I need it and just the way I foresee it so that I can have a sense of achievement with martial arts. The greatest thing with martial arts, though, comes on a interpersonal communication um, level where we have a mantra in martial arts and specifically in JKA. The mantra goes like this. So it's seek perfection of your character, respect others, and refrain from violent behavior. And I can see the confluence in in those traits, how it confluences in my life in Judaism and how universal those aspects are. And so that definitely gave me a firm grounding to journey through my life. And so whenever I find myself in a situation, whether it's a conversation or whether it is in my working environment in a corporate office, it's always to seek the perfection of my character, knowing that I'm not going to be perfect, but the fact that I'm seeking to perfect that character, change traits that could be hazardous to me or could infringe someone else's mental well-being. That is the mindfulness that comes along with martial arts. And I, I think we can definitely agree it is also what Torah teaches us, you know, that we have to work on ourselves. We have to work on our skills in order to become better. Um, you have to work on a mitzvah to beautify that mitzvah. And so it's the same like a kata for me. If I give my effort towards my kata or I practice my, my punch or a particular move, a block, um, a technique, and I give it my all, I can see the change in how I project that to the world. And so definitely martial arts has attributed to that. How would you say your ability to be able to defend yourself in situations where most women wouldn't be able to, how has that, would you say, affected your confidence as a woman? So martial arts teaches you about awareness, right? Knowing your surroundings. You cannot protect yourself if you don't know your environment. And this goes to anything in life. Basically scan out your environment. So I'll give you an example. As a young woman today, you want to go out with your friends. How does that give me the confidence? Confidence comes with knowing that you are secure, you are safe. Then people relax. The vulnerability disappears because they feel they are in a safe environment. Unfortunately, today we find ourselves in environments where we assume safety but it does not always mean that there are safe, um, safety precautions set up for yourself. And so this is what we need to install and empower within ourselves as women um, or as any young individual. And when I'm saying young individual, there's no age to it. Any individual that is capable of moving should have the ability to walk into an environment, suss it out. Now, there's a fine line be between having precaution and 
going to the extreme. But if you walk into an environment and you you suss out your, so you scan out your, your environment, knowing that, okay, I'm safe here. There's a security guard by the door. Um, there are other young women around me. There, there's like when I was in Israel recently, um, going into certain restaurants, I would first see, do I see people that, are, that I can familiarize myself with? For one, are there religious people here? Yes, there's a hechsha on here, but I don't just trust the hechsha. I don't just trust a piece of paper. Let's see who comes in here. Communicate with your environment so that you can find the security within that environment. So what I'm hearing is that, because one of the mantras you said of, of the karate was that you should avoid the violence. So I guess exactly. that awareness, having that awareness, you never, you're basically not going to even find yourself in a situation where you need to defend yourself because you're constantly aware and then able to to exit when when need be. I just learned about this thing called normalcy bias. Yes. Uh, wh- I never heard of it before, but it came up when I was looking into self-defense, which is <laughs> this idea that we, especially women apparently, tend to try and make, even if the environment seems a little bit sketchy to try, it's, it's fine, it's okay. We want things to just be normal. So how how can we balance this with, you know, being aware as you said, um, but also not becoming paranoid and also just l- trusting ourselves. How can we know whether it's a situation that we need to get out of or it's just we're being paranoid? So as women, we're natural nurturers, right? We have a natural instinct to nurture the environment, to see the good, to not, as you'd say, create a stereotype. This is where interpersonal communication comes in. You know, communication is a powerful key in terms of self-defense. Communication is not only verbal. People forget that there's a non-verbal aspect to communication. So read body language. And if you're not familiar with body language, there's a natural instinct that internally comes into you. So there are so many times where you want to go out. I mean, like when I spend times in sim or at varsity, there were times where I was invited out and internally I knew I shouldn't go. My body would shut down. My body's like, you're tired. Why would you want to go out? Just stay at home. And then I'd go out and then something happens. Not necessarily bad, but it's something that I could have avoided. So the natural instinct that women have is a tool that a perpetrator does not have access to. And when I say this, if you're in an environment and you pick up this vibe, you know, whenever you sit in a conversation, sometimes you can get someone and sometimes you're very uncertain about the individual. You're like, I just can't read this person. That's the same with our environment. It's exactly the same with our environment. So not to be over paranoid and not to treat people in a stereotype manner, um, like going out, for example, when you're in an environment um, and your family's not around you in a completely different country. You want to go out. You want to experience life. You've been given this opportunity. You know what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. You know what you are safe with and what you are uncertain with. And I think as young Jewish women, like, for example, at SEM, the vulnerability is the world is okay, especially in Israel. I feel safe in Israel. I mean, I walked around at two o'clock in the morning in Israel and I didn't flinch. I would never do that in South Africa. So it's all about knowing the environment, but also not miss, 
Construing your environment and downplaying the environment is very important. And this is what martial arts teaches you. It teaches you to read your environment. When I walk in, I'm not just walking in by what I see. I'm walking in by what I hear, what I smell, what I feel. I use all my senses to create a safe defense for myself. It is not limited to the physical or the mental. All your senses are involved for your safety. What would you say could be the top three questions a person can ask themselves when walking into a new environment or encountering a new person or situation? Firstly, do I feel safe? Are my boundaries respected? Um, is this person open to hearing me? Am I communicating with a brick wall? Am I getting the feeling that I am not in a safety or secure environment. That's where your intuition comes from. And we should never ignore our intuition. However, we should not take our intuition into paranoia either. Because Bitachon says we trust in Hashem, right? Everything that we are comes from Hashem, good or bad. Everything that we find or situations we find ourselves in, that's a growing opportunity. However, family, siblings that have great experience to you in this life that maybe have had more interaction with the world, they can also help you, your growth with your environment and your growth with understanding environments. So find yourself a friend that really does understand that. And if you don't have a friend that, that, that understands that, I think the best and the most important thing for one to do is, is go to self-defense classes because that is where you are taught a sense of awareness. That is where you are taught to understand nonverbal cues and understand how to use your nonverbal cues with your intuition so that you can create a sense of safety for yourself. If someone's looking into a self-defense class, what should they be aware of to know if it's a good program or not? Because I'm sure there are some bad programs out there and we wouldn't want to end up in those. Yeah. So firstly, make sure that you fully understand the instructor You've done your homework around the instructor. The internet is accessible to everyone. Um, if you don't have access to the internet, get someone else to research it for you to, sure, to ensure that the person is actually qualified to teach, the person has a good reputation, there are predators in every single environment, and predators sometimes also falter into sectors of society like instructors, um, because they can work one-on-one -on -one with women. They can work in confined spaces. Never take self-defense classes one-on-one -on -one unless it's someone you trust and someone you know. Um, and preferably research the, the club that you're joining, the dojo that you're joining, the gym that you're joining. Research the instructors around that, the experience, and their exposure to martial arts so that you can make an adequate and informed decision. Is it? possible to access some sort of defense classes online or is it something that needs to be done in person so yes there are self-defense classes online um i know there's craft maga courses online and for a long time during covid we used to train online right but that interaction that physical interaction will help one when you're in a situation where there's a flight freeze um and flee mode and so 
being with an instructor, an instructor will teach you to overcome those those reactions. Well, yeah, how one would react, the predicting reactance to a situation. Um, I would say for martial arts, at least going to your instructor like once a week would be advisable. Mm-hmm. And then practicing techniques online with the instructor, you can do that. But it's important to have that physical interaction so that you create like a, it's almost like a, like a, well, not a replay, I would say, but it's like a reenactment of a potential threat. Right, which wouldn't happen online. You don't get physically assaulted online. That makes sense. (laughs) So someone who doesn't have the time or the money or resources right now to take a class like that. What are some things that you can tell them that can be helpful for them? Obviously the awareness, but if God forbid they find themselves in a situation that they feel unsafe and they can't just walk out, what are some things that can be helpful for them to know? So I would definitely say having self-defense, I don't like the word weapons, but having pepper spray, you know, having a a stun gun. Um, in What's Israel, a stun it's a gun? Diff- so it's like an electrical. It's an electrical gun that you can use to just destabilize your threat for like five minutes, so that it allows you to get away. Now you need to know when you are in a situation where your safety is compromised. It's always 90% mind before you think about the 10% body. The 10% body would be the defense, but the mind and the mouth is a very powerful weapon. I have very seldomly had to use physical force because my weapon was my mouth. So if you find yourself in a situation, always be loud. Always try and get attention from people around you, because God forbid, I hope it would not be in an isolated environment where you're walking through a dark alley, because that is one thing that you should try and avoid, okay? However, if you find yourself in a situation like that, and there's space between yourself and the perpetrator, always see how you can get as far away from the perpetrator as possible, because you don't have the ability to to defend yourself, or you don't have the skill to defend yourself. But the mouth is a powerful tool that we all have access to. And so one thing I can say, when you are in a moment of intimidation and someone is trying to intimidate your, 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 your safety and, and your space, be loud and say, what is it that you want? Get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. So that whoever's in your environment can understand that you are not giving this person permission to be in your space. You'll often find other members of society coming to your defense. And I know, especially in Israel, this is a reality. It's, it's also dependent on the environment. But I would say um, there's a whistle that one can get. Put it on your keys. If you feel unsafe, you blow that whistle. Internationally, a lot of people understand that the whistle is a sense of help. It's a call for help. So having a whistle or something that can make a noise on your key rings, in your purse, is really helpful. Having pepper spray is great, 
but also know when you do have these weapons, you need to know how to utilize them so that you can protect yourself with them. In a case, God forbid, where someone doesn't have a whistle, a stun gun, pepper spray, are they able to u- utilize just things that they have in their purse, like a credit card or a key in any situation like that? So it definitely, it depends what, it also depends on the individual. So a credit card you could use to cut someone, but I mean, the chances are your hands is going to be held. You know, you're going to have limited space. Um, when you are in a confined space and someone's holding you from behind or they got you choked up in front or they're holding both hands in front of you, it is far better to use your body than to use a weapon, okay? Because the reality is you could get hurt with your own weapon. And so this head of ours is one of the strongest body parts that we have and so often you'll see martial artists when they find themselves in a situation they can headbutt but they know where to headbutt they know where to use a soft point another part of your hands if your hands are free and it's available you can use this part of your hand this is a strong part of your hand you can knock up this way knock up that way on the throat if it's a male and he's in front of you and he's got you choked up your number one priority is to get out of that chokehold So if you knock someone on an Adam's apple, they drop. They will lose their breath for at least two minutes, and they will need to regain their breath. That's time for you to get away, to run away from the situation. So when you are defending yourself, you are defending yourself to get out of the situation as fast as you can to safety. And so you can use your hands. If someone's behind you or have their hands on your mouth, you use your body. You drop your body. As you drop, that person has to drop with you. You can use your elbow. You can try and knock them in their solar plexus. And again, practice makes perfect. So if you are at home and you're hanging out with your with your girlfriends, ask them. Let's practice this. Let's do it safely. Let's do it like you know, without too much power behind it. So ask one of your girlfriends to hold you and see if you move to the left, move to the right. Which way will work for you, so that you can put self-defense in your level of reaction, okay? My level of reaction for self-defense is high because it was something installed in me when I was very young. Someone that does not have that, someone that doesn't like someone screaming at them or being in their space and they freeze, that person needs to practice to overcome that. It's the same like you're going to therapy to overcome a phobia. You need to expose yourself to it enough so that your responses and your reaction diminishes towards it so that you're not triggered into a freeze moment you are triggered into how can I get myself out of the situation and get a sense of empowerment out of it I hope that answers the question definitely and it answers a question I was going to ask about freezing as well because I know I was once in a situation in South Mm -hmm. Africa um I I was 16 and I was followed home and and I noticed as I was walking up my streets I just continued I didn't want to take him to my house Mm-hmm. And um, he ended up coming behind and grabbing me and I screamed so loud. He ran mm. away, even though there was exactly. no one else on the street. However, exactly. I was just speaking to a relative who was on the light rail in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It was packed and somebody was inappropriately rubbing themselves against her and she completely froze. She couldn't speak. She, couldn't, she completely froze until the stop and then she just, she, she, she got off. 
Um, so these are reactions that we can't truly predict. 100%. Um, so in so if somebody has a freeze reaction, you would say, don't wait to know that, but rather practice, and then that will. Are you saying that will help avoid the freeze reaction if you practice it before? Absolutely, absolutely. The main thing about your sense of security is your sense of boundary. I often find that people that don't know how to say no um, are people that often freeze. People that, That's very interesting. And, so the reason why I say this is because, as you said when we started this podcast, as women we like to nurture and see the good in everything and every single person because we are natural nurturers. So it is very difficult to feel that I'm going to offend this person or I might get this person raveled up and I find myself in a greater situation where I can't get out and I don't like confrontation. So people that don't like confrontation, don't like saying no, that find a difficulty with confrontation and saying no, often will find themselves in flight, um, in freeze. I would suggest that if you don't know how to say no or you don't like confrontation, start with small conversations with your family members and friends. So start at home. I always teach my daughter that's six years old, if you do not enjoy a particular play or activity with your friends and you feel uncomfortable, say, I don't want to play this game because it makes me feel uncomfortable. You can go ahead and I've taught her that she's allowed to play on her own. So as a young individual, start with your friends. If they are partaking in an activity or they're doing something that you're not comfortable with, start saying no, because that will allow you in an environment with someone that you don't want to share your vulnerabilities with, someone you don't trust, right? You can easily say, I don't like this. Get away from me. What are you doing? You're making me feel uncomfortable. I do it all the time whether I'm shopping at a, a, a supermarket or whether I'm on a train or on a bus. If someone's too close to me, I'll be like, please give me my space, respect my space. This is my space. This is your space. And I don't mean this to offend you, but I need to feel comfortable and I need to ensure that my space is protected. And if someone was offended, it's like, please don't be offended by it. It's got nothing to do with you. I just appreciate my space. And so that's the starting point is the conversations we have with our friends and our family. If it's something uncomfortable, we must be able to say that it's uncomfortable so that when we are outside in the greater world with individuals that we don't know, with strangers, we have the ability to say, no, I am not comfortable. We have the ability like you did. You screamed. Screaming, being loud, scares the perpetrator. Now, there's one rule that I have whenever I teach someone martial arts. I say, if you can't defend yourself and someone is coming towards you and intimidating your space, nobody messes with the crazy person. The crazy person is unpredictable. Go into a crazy mode rather than a freeze mode. Get away from me. What do you want? Ah, go, go at it. You know, you're not going to go towards them, but you scream like a maniac, behave like a maniac, and they will disappear because perpetrators don't like the noise. They don't like the distraction that you are causing to get attention from those around you because they don't want to be identified. They don't want to be caught. They're just taking the chance. And every time they took the chance and they got away with it, gave them this thrill to do it again. 
So you actually limit that role for them. Give them the unpredictable. The unpredictable is to behave in a manner that they did not foresee. Because perpetrators choose their victims. They select them carefully. And this is one thing I want to say to the young ladies or to anyone out there. When you're walking in a street and it's late at night and you're feeling vulnerable, don't look over your shoulders constantly. Because by looking over your shoulders constantly, it shows that you are anxious, that you are afraid of your environment. And with anxiety and fear, that's the perpetrator's window. And so if you do feel you are being followed, like your situation, for an example, you look down the street where the perpetrator is coming from, you see if there's any oncoming vehicles, and you cross. If that perpetrator crosses again, because as you're crossing, you can see in your blind spot if that person's crossing with you. If that person crosses with you, you walk and you start walking a little bit faster than the pace that you initially had. You don't have to run. But always make sure that you can see, is there someone ahead of me? Is there someone on the pavement across the road from me? The best tip I can say is always have an emergency contact, a friend or family member, trusted individual that you can share your location with. So sharing your location or sharing your itinerary or plans for the day is very important with with a family member or friend. Because God forbid, if you don't rock up where you are supposed to, to pitch up for at a particular hour, friends would know they can contact Esther, for example, or they can contact mom, or they know that your last location was at this point and they expected they can expect you to arrive at your destination at a certain point. If you are walking late at night or you're traveling late at night, keep updating your um, emergency contact with your, your movements. Um, And most importantly, the location sharing, you have to be very careful. Don't put your location services on every single app on your telephone if you have a smartphone, okay? Because having those location services on, like, for example, Waze, other Waze users can see exactly where the individual is if you you are online. You can see where the cars are in in your vicinity. That's extremely dangerous. Or on Instagram, you're sitting in a restaurant, you're taking a picture of the food, you tag the restaurant. Now, whoever's following you on Instagram or on Facebook can see exactly where you are. That's the danger that society faces. And that is where a lot of situations that compromises women's safety occurs, especially with gender-based violence that we experience in South Africa. I know it's not as prevalent as in Israel, but these are the realities. that one faces as a young woman in in society today. It's so interesting that what you said about make sure that you're not constantly looking over your shoulder and looking up. Because I just saw that pickpockets actually stand by signs that say beware of pickpockets. Because right. what happens is people pass the sign, they touch the pocket with a wallet, and then they continue, and then the, the pickpocket knows exactly where the wallet is. So 100%. it's this idea, yeah, of... Look confident. Don't give yourself away as a target. Uh, that's very, very interesting. And share your location Definitely. with the people you want to have your location and not with those that you don't want to have your locations, which is the whole general wide world. 100%. And also, like on your cell phone, I have my husband's name saved as emergency husband and his name. 
So that if anything happens to me and someone gets access to my phone that needs to call out for and alert my family members or friends, they understand who my emergency contacts are um, mm, if I find myself helpful. in a situation. What would you say to someone who has had some sort of either major or minor assault who listening to this feels ashamed that they didn't do more to defend themselves? So we can't always be prepared for incidents in our lives. A lot of traumatic experiences come unpredictable at unpredictable times. One is not always prepared for it. But the most important thing is to learn from the situation. We can't change how we reacted in the past, but we can empower ourselves with how we're going to react in the future. I'm going to start joining a self-defense class. I am going to be more aware of my boundaries, about my self-awareness. But you have no reason to feel ashamed. You are just a special neshama in this world that trusted your environment. Because you saw the beauty of what Hashem has created. And someone else has infringed that sense of security. That is not blame to one that is the victim. That is on the honest of the perpetrator. Honest on the victim going forward is to become a survivor. And how do I become a survivor from a victim? I improve my skill set. I find means and ways Like I do with my religious observance, I learn about certain topics. I empower myself so that I can be better and I can beautify the world around me. If we fall victim of it, we can only move forward by a sense of empowerment. And if it's difficult to find that sense of empowerment, therapy, mental well-being is a very important aspect that needs to be installed into society. It is a very new understanding in our society, even though it's been around for centuries. The empowerment of mental well-being is only something that is prevalent in this generation. And I can say that this generation can be very proud of themselves because it's a much more outspoken generation. And so use that strength. Use that strength to speak out. What was the biggest challenge that you faced when you left home for the first time? The challenge was having a fair balance between freedom and safety. Because leaving the house, I was like, I'm free. No one's going to tell me what to do. And so there's the danger of reckless behavior. So you have to have very clear rules with your, with your social circle, your close-knit, um, as well as your family. Um, even though you don't want to share with your family what you are up to because you're away from them and there's a sense of freedom. Just know the balance between freedom and safety. That's very important. If you had a time machine that could take you back to a random point in time between when you left home and before you got married, what is the one, you can only tell yourself one thing, what is the one thing (laughs) that you would tell yourself? Trust my instincts. Always follow your intuition. Thank you so much. This has been so, so helpful. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of On Your Own. If you liked this episode or think it will be useful to someone else, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I would love to connect with you. If you've got any questions, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, you can email me at onyourownpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week. And in the meantime, happy adulting. <laughs>